The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Father, calm this morning. And Lord, speak to us. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your word of life. And Father, open up our hearts right now. Lord, may we, may we lay down all of our prideful desires. May we lay them down at your feet right now and say, Lord, open our hearts. May I hear your word this morning. May I hear what you want to say to our church. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Uh, Children ages four and five can be dismissed to your right and my left-hand side of the sanctuary. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, I mean chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Before we look at the, the text this morning, I want to ask the question to you, and I want you to to think upon as we look at the church in Sardis this morning. But I want to start off with the question this morning, who is the church? Who is the church? I think it's very important that we start out with a reminder to ourselves here this morning at Abner Creek that we are the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ who've received the gospel, and we are living a life for him. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church is a regenerate people of God saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in this world. You see, this morning, church, if you're a believer, God has a purpose for your life. The church this morning is not just Abner Creek Baptist Church, but the church is you. If you are in Christ this morning, you are a part of the church. We come together on a Sunday morning Together, we join ourselves together as believers, as one whole church, but each one of us as individuals are the church. And we must remember that this morning as we look into the text about the church of Sardis. You see, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 21 says, For through him we have access to in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Man, that's exciting this morning to understand that we as the church are being built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being our cornerstone. 
We have reason this morning to be excited and to have joy and to rejoice in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So this morning, if you are in Christ, you are the church. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We as a body here at Ebner Creek make up a small part of the whole body of the church. And we and believers all over the world that make up the church the entire body of Jesus Christ are celebrating today because of the gospel, because of the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to go to a cross, to shed his blood. And as we're going to celebrate in just a couple of weeks, we have victory this morning because the grave, he did not stay in the tomb. But he arose, and because he arose, we have, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is our victory. That is our joy this morning. John had received a series of visions as we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Therefore, we must be reminded that the seven letters to the churches in Revelation is not only to the church then. But it's to us now. The letters that we've been teaching on and, and been studying is not just for the church then, but it's for us today. It's also for future generations of churches to come until Christ returns. So look with me now in Revelation. Chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. And the angel of the church in Sardis wrote, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed. Thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray, church, for the blessing of God's word this morning. Father, I need you. Lord, I am nothing without you. And Father, I need you to speak through 
my lips this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that I will say nothing that does not honor your word. And Father, I pray that I would speak truth. And Father, I pray that you would have your way in this place. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dig deep into the letter here that John writes to the church at Sardis, I want us just to take a, 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 a look briefly at Sardis, the city of Sardis. You see, the church is in the city of Sardis. And before we dig in, I want us to look at it. A city in Asia Minor, as we've seen the other cities are. Uh, and it, it's, this is at uh, one time Sardis was the greatest and wealthiest cities in the world. Sardis was, was 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, in which we looked at last Sunday. About 30 miles, so from Spartanburg to Greenville is where Sardis was compared to Thyatira. Its primary industry was harvesting wool, dyeing it, and making garments from it. Sardis was rich in gold and and silver, and it was was common in the ancient world. Uh, Minted silver and gold into coins was what Sardis was known for as the first city that ever minted uh, silver and gold coins. Around 1,200 years before this letter, Sardis had gained great prominence of being the capital of the Lydian kingdom. Sardis was an acropolis. It was a, a citadel, an ancient Greek city built on a hill. It was a fortress. It was uh, on high ground. Sardis set 1,500 feet above the valley floor. Unlike Thyatira being in the valley and, and having a long history of being destroyed and rebuilt, Sardis was impregnated. It was almost impossible to capture or, or break into it. Sardis had never been seized by frontal attack. Twice, however, it was taken by stealth. It was taken quietly and, and carefully when no one noticed because of a lack of vigilance of the defenders. An author you may be familiar with is, is, is Aesop, the fables of Aesop. Aesop was from Char, uh, Sardis. And then tradition says that, that Melito, a faithful member of the church at Sardis, wrote the first ever commentary on the book of Revelation, on the book of Revelation, several decades after this letter to Sardis, which many scholars believe, due to him writing the commentary, believe that this may mean that there was a revival at the church of Sardis after the letter had been written. So as we look at the church of Sardis, where do we begin? Well, I think this morning, we, as we look at the Scripture, we look at three conditions of the heart that we encounter at the Church of Sardis. Three conditions of the heart. The first condition of the heart is being spiritually dead. 
We see in verse 1, it says, The angel of the church in Sardis writes the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, the church of Sardis is an actual church. This is probably the only church in Sardis. It's just like us here this morning coming together as a body of believers. The church of Sardis and these churches we've looked at are actual churches. They're actually body of believers that coming together claiming to worship Jesus Christ. But Jesus says in verse 1 that it was a dead church. This was the majority of of the people in the church of Sardis. It was, it was similar to a liberal church that denies, that we know of today, that denies the gospel of Jesus Christ, denies the word of God as being truth and the power of God. It was a very liberal church. These folks, the majority of the people in the church were unconverted. They were lost. They were dead in their trespasses. As Ephesians 2 once, they had, they were, uh, they had not been brought to life together with Jesus Christ. You see, I think it's very important to understand this morning that sinners, those without Christ, cannot understand spiritual things. They cannot understand spiritual things. And this is where the church of Sardis was. The majority of the people in the church were lost. And they did not, they were blinded to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all, our trespasses. You see, this is not who the majority of the church was in Sardis. They were dead. They had not been brought to life. At this time in history, the church of Sardis, this was about 30 years after the church had been planted. So this church had been in Sardis for about 30 years. And it was not an easy time to live out the gospel there. Christ had been rejected in the city. The disciples had been killed and, and John was the only one left on the island of Patmos. As a very, at a very old age, he writes this letter to the churches. The church of Sardis was one of the five of the seven churches that were in very bad shape. We see the church in a sad state of mind. Many churches today are in the same state as the church we see here in Sardis. The status of the church, according to verse 1, is that they had a reputation of being alive, but they were truly dead. The church of Sardis had gone through a steady decline. And here we see it with no life. The church had leaves but no fruit. Similar to what Jesus told us about Israel in Matthew chapter 21 verse 19. 
Jesus talked about the Israel's moral bareness. The majority had not been brought to life. They were not saved. They looked religious, but they were so similar to the Pharisees. They were doing the duty of church, but they had no relationship with Jesus Christ. They had no light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The church of Sardis had no light. The the light was being hidden. Because the church over the time span of about 30 years have allowed folks to come in that did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to take over. The church though was known for for doing good deeds which by men were, were praiseworthy. But before God, they stood condemned. Because they were imperfect, incomplete, inadequate. All these, in the, all these religious activities in the sight of God were a failure. Because they were only formal and external. Why? Why? Just like the Pharisees, I can't help but to think about the Pharisees because they were always doing the religious act. And Sardis is very similar. They were always doing the religious act. They looked like a very healthy church from folks looking from the outside in. Maybe even inside the church, they looked very healthy because they were doing. Jesus says they're dead. The church at Sardis was not infused by the life-giving Holy Spirit that happened at salvation. The majority of the church was lost. They were stuck in nominal Christianity. On the formal and external was outstanding, but in the sight of God was a complete failure. You see, this morning... On the outside, we can sometimes look really good. But on the inside, personally, God can look at you and he can say, you're dead. You do not have a relationship with me. And that's what he was saying to this church. You look alive, but you're dead. You see, in our culture today, there's so many churches that are decorating the cross. They're decorating the cross and they're making you think it's a, it's a great party and, and, and they have these awesome, upbeat services. That's fun. And they call themselves relevant to the times. I don't know the heart of those churches, but I wonder if Jesus would look at those churches today and say, You're dead. The church of Sardis may have looked splendid. But we see, as Jesus said, I know your works. In man's eyes they looked great. But the one that mattered most knew the intention of their heart. You see, this morning, anytime you stand beside, behind a pulpit, 
and you, you preach the word of God, you have to ask yourself, what is the intention of your heart? And I would be lying to you this morning if I did not have to ask that question to myself, what is the intention of my heart this morning? Church, I ask you this morning, what is the intention of your heart? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? We must recognize the warning of love from from Jesus here in this passage for the church. They, They had mostly forfeited the Holy Spirit's lead. They were doing it their way. They had mostly put the Holy Spirit to the side and God to the side, even though they claimed Christ overall as a church but they have mostly pushed him out of the way and said we're going to do it our way they had many false leaders and, and teachers in this church like any church they were dying and any church is capable of dying I'm sure 30 years earlier when they planted this church there at Sardis That they would have never dreamed that Jesus himself would send a letter to the church saying, you're dead. It's sad. A true church that stands for Christ takes a stand and follows the leadings of the scripture, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And how he's guiding us and directing us. The true church will have enemies. When we stand for the word of God. When we preach the word of God. When we stand on the truth of God. The true church of Jesus Christ will have enemies. You know they say that when you're out on a hike. And I've never came across a bear before. But they say when you're out on a hike and you come across a bear, the worst thing you can do is to run. Because as soon as you begin to run, that bear's going to begin to run after you. And what what, what they say you're supposed to do is when you're out and you encounter a bear, what you're supposed to do is stand up to it. You're supposed to be still and, and act as mighty as you can be. Hoping that that bear will flee. Thinking that you're going to hurt it. Instead of him or her hurting you. You see church this morning. We have to stand on the promises. And be faithful as a church to the word of God. Because Satan is running after us. He's trying to destroy our church. And he's going to continue to destroy our church. But our focus must be on Jesus Christ. Our focus must be to be still and to know that He is God and rest assured that His promises will come to pass and that He has a purpose and a plan for our life. Verse 1 says that the words of Him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. You see, we see Christ's concern. He cared so much for the church of Sardis. We, we see this about the seven spirits, the, the seven spirits of God. We see this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. We also see it in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. 
But I think we see it most in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, as it talks about the identity of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah says in chapter 11, verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We as believers are indwelled with the Spirit of a living God, which enables us to walk in wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, when we walk not in the advice of the wicked, as Psalm chapter 1 says, we are a blessed people. We, as a living church, have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And believers, even though we're prone to wonder, but we should never be self-seeking or fearful or cruel. These are not signs of the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So one spirit we see, but six more characteristics of the Spirit of God. So not only were some of the people in the church of Sardis were dead, not saved, no relationship with Jesus Christ, but some were spiritually asleep. Now I've already said the majority of the people here in the church of Sardis were dead. But there was a few that were asleep and Jesus says to them in verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete. In the sight of my God. You see the the church at Sardis was, was stuck in spiritual lethargy. They had a lack of energy and enthusiasm. They had lost, there was, a, there was a small part of the church that had lost their joy. And Jesus was saying to the church, wake up. He was saying to the church, wake up. Christ tells us in verse 2 how to get out of being stuck in spiritual lethargy. First of all, he says, wake up. The literal translation here is to be watching. Is to be alert. This was a warning. It was great counsel from, from Christ Himself. And it was relevant for Sardis because it was, it was also stating that the church was not completely beyond hope. In the church there still remained a, a residue. There was something left behind here that we see. There was something left behind of life that could be revived. It still just needed some, some watering and it could wake up. He says strengthen what remains. In chapter 3 he says remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. I want to start with that word remember that John says. He says remember. John is recalling the church to the earliest days of his devotion and love for Christ. You see, I believe this part of the, the sector of the church, this small part, 
was saved, but they were sleeping. They had forgot what was truly, why they truly came to Christ, what the gospel really means. That they were lost in darkness. They did not, they were on their way to hell. And they received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometime over that 30 years, they have fallen asleep and they have forgot truly what the gospel was all about. They were sleeping. And John recalls this to the church. He called the church as a whole to remember the early days when they received the gospel and to repent. He calls them a hold fast to the gospel. Then the church is told to repent. Turn from your sin. And if not, we see the result was in the the latter part of verse 3. It says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. A thief. Here we see the the emphasis is a a thief. And the language is at times used a thief in the night for the second coming of Christ Jesus. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You see, to the world, Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ is scary. To the lost sinner, the coming of Jesus Christ is a, is, a, is a scary time for them. For Christians, for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is our hope. That Christ would come quickly and take us from this wicked world. In this case, though, the present context of this is suitable to some historical visitation when the Lord would bring some lethargic church an unexpected experience, which means a divine judgment. So for this church in Sardis, what he was saying, a thief, uh, he was going to come like a thief, he meant judgment. He was not going to allow this church to keep going the way it was going. You see, the folks of Sardis knew exactly what this meant. In the city of Sardis, they knew their history. They knew, although they had never been taken by frontal attack, they had been snuck up upon. Their past history. We see that, that once uh, there was a guard on duty and the soldier that was on duty had dropped his helmet. Remember, it was a, it was a city on a hill 15 feet above and he was at guard that night. And, and King Cyrus had put the city in siege underneath in the valley because the city was impregnable. There was no way to attack it. And King Sardis and his army, they were watching the city. And one of the guards there had, had dropped his helmet down below. And King Cyrus's army, being vigilant and watching closely, had watched the guard go down through a secret door and get his helmet and go back up. 
This allowed the, the army of King Cyrus' army to go and, and to take refuge over Sardis. We see another time where the Persians, they, they noticed that at one part of the fence in, in Sardis that, that uh, vultures kept hanging around that part of the fence. And as they were watching diligently, they started seeing that the people of Sardis would throw dead bodies over the wall. And they saw that that was a weakness at that wall. And it allowed the Persians to go in. You see, this is a stern warning to remember. To wake up. We all are prone to, one, uh, to, to forget. We're prone to wonder. And we have to make sure we're alert and we're awake. And we remind ourselves daily of the gospel. What brought us to this place? We also now look and we see the third condition of the heart of Sardis. And the third condition where there was some folks in the church that was vibrant. The Bible says it was a remnant. In verse 4 it says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Some folks in the church were alive. The Bible says it was a small remnant. It was a little piece, a little a few folks in the church that were still living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they were surrendered to the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit. And as believers, sometimes this is, this is a sanctification process. We kind of almost put it on the back burner. John MacArthur gave this quote he said, I think the church has the least interest in, the doc in this doctrine, which is the most important one for the church. And that is the doctrine of sanctification. Becoming more like Christ. You see, church, this morning, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are becoming more and more every day like Him. His desire through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. His desire through God's Word is to draw you closer and closer to Him. Where you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, these folks at Sardis, they knew who they were in Christ. They knew that every day it was not about them, but it was about Jesus. They understood the fact that every day that they were becoming, going through the sanctification process, becoming and being made more uh, holy, becoming more and more like their Savior, Jesus Christ. We see the word holy as mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. At this time, God had made the Sabbath day holy. You see, for believers this morning, for those of us that are in Christ, sanctification, the process of sanctification is a blessing for us. 
It's a blessing that, that God did not just save us and say, now you have to wait for heaven. No, he saves us. And he says, now I'm going to begin the process of making you more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. He could choose not to use us, but he chooses to use us. God spoke to Moses in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. He says, speak to the congregation of Israel. Tell them, be holy, because I, God, your God, am holy. You see, Jesus Christ is sanctified. He is God. He is all God. And Jesus, being God, is holy. And is sanctifying us as believers to become like Him. You see, success of this world is, is, is to somebody who's lost and in the world, success is, is money. It's a career. It's stuff. It's status. And those are the idols of our world today. But for the believer... Success is being sanctified. It's becoming more and more like our Savior. It's being surrendered to His plan and not our own. It's cooperating and yielding to His ways and plans for our life. You see, this morning, He's our maker. He made you. He's our joy. He's inside of us. He's the reason that we can sing songs and, and rejoice and lift our hands and smile and laugh and fellowship because He is inside of us. We can walk in joy because we're being made complete in Him. He says, You are exclusively mine. Personally acquired before the foundations of the world. Carefully preserved. As believers, we cannot fight the sanctification process. We cannot fight it. Because if you're in Christ this morning and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, He is doing a work in you. And that work is to make you more and more and more like Him. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. May God Himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. You see, a small remnant in the church of Sardis was surrendered to the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit and, and that lived and was working in their lives. They knew their identity. They knew that God himself is holy. 
And they knew that God Himself was the only one that could practice holiness 100% of the time. But you see, they also knew that when, because they were in Christ Jesus, because they were saved, when God the Father looked upon them, He no longer saw their sin, but He saw the holiness of Jesus Christ. You see, church, this morning, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks upon you, if you're alive in Christ, He looks upon you and He sees the blood of Jesus. We do not stand condemned this morning as the body of Christ. We are alive with Him. Working with Him. He is doing the work of sanctification in our life. So in Christ, as believers, we are in the position of holiness. But we are not holy. We, we, we're still dealing with this flesh. We don't always practice holiness. But we are becoming holy through the Spirit of God and only through the Spirit of God. Isaiah 43. Hear this Isaiah 43 verse 1. I want to read it to you from the Message Bible. It says, But now God's message... The God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. You see, this morning, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship in Jesus Christ, He's called you by name. He has said to us this morning, as the church of Jesus Christ, you are mine. Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation 4, the Bible says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. He's the only one worthy to bow before Him and say, Holy, holy, Holy are you, Lord Almighty. And we see in verses 5 and 6, the product of obedience. The product of obedience, the one who conquers, will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You see verse 5, it says, dressed in white garments. This declares righteousness and glory. You see, this morning, if you're alive in Christ, if you have a relationship in, in Christ, you are dressed already in white garments. You have the victory over death. You see, there's nothing that can kill me right now. There's nothing as believers that can kill you this morning. There's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop our church from, from, from going into what God has for us. We have the victory. White also represents fine purity. It's the linen that is, represents brilliance of, of glory. 
We can also rest assured this morning, church, that, that we are sealed. We are sealed. If, you're, if you are in Christ this morning, your name will never be erased from the book of life. You see, in the city of Sardis, and the reason this, this letter comes to them this way is because in the city of Sardis, they had a book. And this book, uh, the citizens' name were in the book. They were registered in this book. And the only way that their names could be erased is because of death or if they committed a crime against the state the city would go in and erase their name. But God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love for us, through His blood, Jesus Christ will never, ever erase those who are in Christ from the book of life. You see, maybe a petty king would do this. Maybe a king that only cared about himself would, would erase the names. But our God, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and, and the Lord of lords, will never erase the names of those who are His due to Jesus. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Shedding his blood for you and for me. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God, who raised him from the dead. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this morning, church, we can rest assured. We can have peace in our hearts. We can have joy in our hearts. We can rest in Jesus Christ this morning because we know that it is finished. We know that as believers, we only stand in front of a holy God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not our own. Verse 6 says, Let all who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is for us this morning, church. This is for you this morning to hear what Jesus Christ said to the church at Sardis. As a whole, this is for us. You see, this morning, you may be in this place. And you may be 
like some of the Pharisees or, or like the majority of the people at the church of Sardis. You've been playing church. You've been, you've been doing the good deed. On the outward appearance, you look like you have it all together. But you know because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is in this place, He's saying to you this morning, you're dead. And if that's you this morning, I pray that you would surrender your life to Him. To Jesus Christ and not continue to just play the game. Church, you may be here this morning and you've lost your fire. You feel like you're just going through the motions. You know you have a relationship with Christ. You know He saved you. But there's no energy. And this morning, the Lord would say to us, as a church body, wake up. Wake up, repent, and rest in His grace. Don't allow complacency and and pride to get in our way of surrender to His sanctification process for our life. He is working. We must allow Him to work in us and through us. We must yield. We must slow down. And sometimes we must stop and rest. And say, Lord, I'm going nowhere until you show me. I'm going to rest in your salvation. I'm going to rest in you. He is our song. As a church, we're we're prone to forget what salvation truly is. We're prone to wonder. We're, We're prone to stray away. But this morning, He is our song. He is our melody. He is our joy. He is our peace. He is our anchor. He is our king. He is our righteousness. And in Him, Jesus, our Savior, our Creator, our Friend, our Father, our Shepherd, is one that we can trust. We can call upon. The one who can never fail us. Never fail us. Never leave us. He's alive and we serve a risen Savior. Let's pray. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.